Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search, marketing, and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Pete Bersinger, once a solutions engineer, now turned serial entrepreneur, having founded Podscribe.ai, say that fast five times, the world's biggest podcast database, and Picasso. No, I'm not talking about the artist Picasso. I'm talking about aka PicassoKnows.ai, a data-driven podcast marketing platform to help podcasters that's me learn where they should be advertising so today pete and i discuss his journey from solutions engineering to bona fide entrepreneur we also talk about why he chose to launch two brands using cctld domains and last but not least we discuss the pros and cons to branding using non.com domains so with that pete welcome and thank you for making time to join us today man Thank you, Alvin. I'm uh, excited to be here and uh, chat about everything with you. Totally. All right. So first off, you got to pronounce your name for everybody. Um, well, yeah, like I was saying, I don't think anybody's ever gotten it right the first time, but <laughs> Pete Bersinger. Yeah, oh no, it's, it's kind of one of those names that's just tough to get right. But Yeah, because it looks like, I mean, when you look at it, it looks like Bersinger. Exactly. It, yep. I mean, if you're sounding it phonetically, interesting. Well, leave it to leave it to a good old Texas boy to chop your name up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, so to kick things off, Pete. Hey, man. Let's briefly share at a high level with our listeners a bit about yourself, who you are, your personal and professional background. Yeah, sure. So it's um, a bit of a windy path, but I so I grew up in San Francisco. Went to school in. UC Berkeley, where I studied computer science there, actually. And then after I graduated in uh, 2013, I moved to San Francisco, where I was a software engineer for two about, about two years. And I kind of felt like I wanted a change of pace, wanted to see somewhere else other than the Bay Area. So then I ended up deciding to move to New York City. So I went there. And I started working for TapAd, a company in the ad tech space. So I, I at first started there as a software engineer, but I felt that I wanted to do something a bit more client facing or, you know, involving people a little bit more where I wasn't just mashing on a keyboard all day, uh, <laughs> you know, talking to a computer. So <laughs> I transferred internally. <laughs> to become a, a sales engineer, which I actually found, or a solutions engineer, sort of the same thing, which I actually liked a lot better because I was still doing some technical things, doing some, some coding things, but also I was sort of like the technical right-hand man to the sales guys on the call. So we would, you know, get on a call with a potential client and then, you know, I'd explain the technical details in a way that would ideally make them want to buy our solution. So. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> well, I was going to stop you and, and keep the sales guys in check from selling stuff that they ought not to be selling. Yeah, that would happen a probably more. <laughs> yeah, probably most of the time because they'll they'll just kind of say anything and then it's kind of like, well, you know, we we, we can do this uh, thing which is close to that, but you know, so there was <laughs> sort of a lot of that. But it was um sort of a it's an interesting job that I like because it was right at the intersection of sales and technology, which, you know, it's sort of a unusual place to be because not a lot of 
engineers, at least that I know, want to go into sales and be talking to people and not a lot of sales guys want to learn the coding technical skills. So it was kind of a unique position. And because of that, um, it kind of, it sort of had some advantages. Um, we, or me and another guy on my team, we actually, that's where we actually started working on the fir- our first company, Potable, um, while we were still there. And we always kind of joked it was a great place to start another company just because they, they knew we were working on it, but you know, we were you know, doing our jobs well and we kind of kept everything out open with them. So we started working on it there for probably seven, eight months, which was, it worked out well because, you know, we were making our, doing our regular jobs, plus starting to build out this thing on the side. And then we ended up raising 50K while we were there. And then we were like, okay, you know, we ought to do this full time. So then we eventually quit that and then started onto the entrepreneurial thing. So then now, now when you say, hey, you raised 50K, I, I'm assuming was that through family, friends, or what, what type of round was it? Yeah, so we, it, was, it was sort of an in-network angel investor. So we had started to reach out to a number of angel investors who were in our network or loosely affiliated. So we raised that and basically our pre-seed round in a, a safe note. So that's how we got started. And we started talking to a number of other investors and venture capitalists as well. And eventually for Potable, we ended up raising about 600,000 in in our seed round. We wanted to raise more, but we had, you know, sort of some difficulties. It's not, you know, raising the money. So so we mostly raised from angels and then a VC firm or two as well. Now, taking a step back here now, so essentially you had what relative, I guess, before you started Potable, you had roughly, what, about three years of professional experience somewhere along those lines? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, about two years of professional software engineering and about one year of sales engineering. So then, you know, most people are probably sitting there going, wait, two years experience. (laughs) doing software engineering one year with solutions and you're just going to burst into really a lane that I guess now did, had you had any experience, uh, you know, in regards to podcasting, because for most people, yeah. it seems like you would go into a lane that you know something about, not necessarily, uh, you know, something that's divergent or totally different. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. For, one thing to clarify is, I mean, I had been, coding the entire time in college so an additional four years where i was sort of doing that so i was reasonably familiar with coding but we're going into podcasting and sort of the startup thing how it started was the guy on my sales engineering team he was telling me how he was doing this data science boot camp where he was transcribing podcasts and analyzing the content in them to then provide personalized recommendations to to listeners and i was like huh that's pretty interesting. And he was sort of telling me how he was doing it. And I was saying, well, I could probably make this like a lot better because I, I actually know how to code. <laughs> or at least like more, more than you, <laughs> more than you. So, and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll help you out. And at the time, you know, I, I honestly was kind of hesitant to go into a startup or do, the own, do my own thing. I didn't really know what I, I wanted that well. I, I honestly was kind of, about dragged into it is the right word but i kind of just <laughs> ended up doing it and yeah and i was sort of a little hesitant and i think it's grown on me a lot 
since then I'm very happy I did, but I, I, it wasn't really necessarily my choice to say, Hey, let's start a company. The opportunity was sort of just there, which was, I'm definitely very thankful for. And I think it's worked out well. And then regarding podcasts, I had always, I'd been listening to podcasts for years before that. And I, you know, I really liked them. So I was especially interested and I knew how hard it was to find good podcasts, like new ones that I, that I liked. So I was, you know, I thought it was a pretty cool idea. So, you know, I, I was, I was open to it, but yeah, I had never built an app or, any, or anything before, but I, you know, figured we could learn and see where it goes. That's awesome. So, so then what's interesting to me about this is, you know, if we take a step back and we just talk about just the, the landscape of, of podcasting, just in general, this day, 2020, September at the time of this recording. And it appears to me, uh, you know, I look, I look around at um, a couple of different folks blogs. Uh, but oh man, what is um, she Seth, Seth, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, it's, uh, Seth, uh, is it Seth Gogan? Somewhere around there. But either way, like he, he, he wrote and basically said, hey, podcasting is the new blogging now, meaning that more and more folks are starting to podcast. And then Google is actually upping the ante, if you will, in terms of they're investing so much into podcasting search. And so it's, it's getting interesting in terms of that you started this, what, some three, four years ago, and yet you're coming right into really, I guess you'd say a hot streak or what's becoming a hot streak in terms of podcasting. Podcasting is not new. It's been around, but I think it's, it's finally grown uh, legs to where, uh, you know, there's technology that can um, obviously support it. We have smartphones now for the past 10 years. And so all of these different things. So like, did any of that stuff cross your mind as you entered into this? Or was it, hey, I just happened to run into a guy that I was working with. He was doing this project. And because it seems like you are a learner, it seems like you are a problem solver, someone who, if you place a good problem in front of them, they're probably going to tackle this thing uh, to the 10th degree. So it's like, it was that more of your stance that you are a problem solver and you wanted to solve that, or you actually looked at the landscape and said, well, no, this is the next big thing. Even when we started, it, it almost felt like it was already like too late. Even like three, four years ago, it felt like there was already a lot of attention on it. But we were always extremely confident that there was a ton of work left to do in podcasting, specifically the discoverability of new shows. I think it's still an issue. And where we, what we really wanted to do, which still even hasn't really been solved today is so we 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 would build an app the goal was you know and we did you know several steps of this build an app that provides personalized recommendations off of the transcripts to the listeners but then the next step that we wanted to do was do dynamic ad insertion to uh, you know show the listener an ad that was related to the content that they mm -hmm. were listening to you know sort of like you know on most other digital advertising you know if you're looking at a blog about uh you know SEO, then maybe boom, you're going to get hit with some ads about SEO products. So, you know, I think company, everybody kind of in the advertising podcast space kind of sees that this is like where we need to go. But the issue is that there's a lot of obstacles with the infrastructure in podcasting, you know, with Apple really being the giant 
in the room, kind of the benevolent giant where they just don't care that much, but because the listenership is so fragmented across different apps, it's really hard to get this dynamic ad insertion in play. And I think Spotify is getting almost dangerously close to having all pieces (laughs) of the puzzle combined, you know, with the listenership and then they've got the ad loop. So they're pretty close to kind of combining it all. And I think people in the space are not thrilled with that because with Spotify, it's sort of like a threat to the openness of podcasting because, you know, if you're put your podcast on Spotify, you don't have, you might not have an open RSS feed that any player can pull in. And then it's just eventually if, you know, Spotify can kind of take over everything, then that sort of shuts out other people and shuts out competition. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think, you know, Amazon, you saw with Amazon Music, they're coming into the space too. And right. Google and who knows if Apple will ever do anything. Probably not. But <laughs> I, I think, yeah, there's still a lot of problems and we kind of saw them. Um, and we, I think they're honestly sort of still similar to where it was a couple of years ago. Things have just advanced incrementally it seems like, but they're advancing. Definitely. Interesting. So then kind of walk us through. So how did you proof the concept uh, of potable initially? Um, this is where I think we could have done a better job. I think that was sort of the issue. We, so we started out with the recommendation engine and to this day, I honestly found it to be, probably the best recommendation engine out there where if you, you, we would have your show and then we'd recommend 10 other shows that were similar based on the actual content in the show. And it was, I routinely used it back then. I was super into crypto, cost me a lot of money (laughs) uh, back then, but I was always finding new crypto shows every day with the algorithm. And I think it was, it was good. But the, the issue that we faced was that, and I don't think we fully realized is that our recommendation engine was good, but it wasn't quite enough of a 10x factor to really drive in hordes of listeners right. to our app because most podcast apps, while they're not easy to build, I can tell you firsthand there's a lot of bells and whistles. They're more or less commodities these days. Like, you know, pay a couple engineers and you know you got a, a decent podcast app. And our recommendation engine was good, but not enough to drive in z- the zillions of users that we needed to sort of have the dynamic ad insertion working. And what we eventually realized was that for a podcast app to be successful, the only real differentiating factor, it seems like, is exclusive content, you know, which is why you see Spotify snapping up Joe Rogan, you know, hundred million and right. Gimlet and the ringer and because it, it and you see Luminary and these other giants out there just, you know, buying all this exclusive content because that's basically what you need to differentiate yourself as an app. So I think that was honestly we kind of, it was sort of our first thing. And we, to, in hindsight, to be successful, we needed kind of a lot of miracles to happen. You know, we need to build a decent app, build a good recommendation engine, get a bunch of listeners, then build a dynamic ad insertion engine, and get a bunch of advertising. You know, there was like way too many things where it could have gone wrong. So we kind of realized, oh, shoot, we need exclusive content. So we actually started producing some shows on our own on our app, which a couple did pretty well. One of them, I don't know if you or your listeners have heard of it, but it was called the Caller Daddy Show, and they're you know up there in the ranks of Apple Podcasts. Usually, they're often like top ten. But we started them, and then you know we kind of had a contract dispute. We didn't really know super well what we were doing, and then mm-hmm. that broke off. And then they went to Barstool, and then a kind of around that time, 
we ran out of money. So we were up <laughs> Imagine to like, that. yeah, we were up to like nine, 10 employees. So I think while well, like the premise of the problem, discoverability, and then kind of leveraging that to go into dynamic ad insertion to help to increase the monetization of podcasts. I think that kind of all made sense in theory, but we didn't really have a, a great path to get there and, and at least not a short enough path to last us for the, the runway that we had. Gotcha. So now where did the name Potable come from? Where, like, what was the thinking behind that? Or did you have other names to choose from? I don't know, honestly. I think it was the, the <laughs> other guy. I don't know where he came up with it. But honestly, it was it was an all right name. But it was kind of unfortunate because half the time you tell it to somebody, they spell it wrong. Like I bet half your listeners like would say it's spelled P-O-D-A-B-L-E or some ah. other variation. But it's P-O-D-I-B-L-E, which that was one thing I learned is like you a name that like can be misspelled is a little is not ideal. <laughs> so I mean, it was an all right name, but like I probably wouldn't pick it again. Gotcha. So now, did because I know we we in in the intro I mentioned Podscribe.ai. So which came first? Was it Potable that came first, and then Podscribe, or how? Yeah. So kind of what's the it, connection it's, there? It's, yeah, it's super confusing. So Potable is the original company name and it actually still is the company name. So after we ran out of money, it basically had to kind of restructure the company transition. And so from Potable, it changed everything to be public facing, to be Podscribe since we focus essentially on podcast transcriptions and everything sort of comes out of that. And I think about a year and a half ago, I had sort of considered building more of the advertiser business intelligence product. And I had named the product Picasso and put it on the Picasso nose domain, but we're actually in the process now of switching, getting rid of Picasso to have everything just be under Podscribe, just everything be kind of centered around podcast transcripts and have the business intelligence product, you know, kind of still be centered around Podscribe, um, but perhaps have a different name, but we're, working to resolve all the confusing pieces there. So the only thing going forward will be Podscribe. Potable is this the legal company name, not no public usage. And Picasso was sort of an experiment on the advertiser front. Um, but shifting that back to Podscribe is because I think Picasso is all right, but the issue is it's sort of impossible to know anything about what it is or what it does from right. the name. So that's why I've never been the most sort of creative person with names and whatnot. So I think this, at least with Podscribe, it's obviously about podcasting. It's probably about transcriptions. So at least you can sort of get the gist of it from a name and it's sort of hard to misspell as well. So, and we just see, yeah, I got the, yeah, we're on podscribe.ai, but I did just recently get the .com to redirect to the AI just in case, because we had some people <laughs> trying to go to .com. They were like, where are you? I'm like, it's not AI, <laughs> but now we're, now we're forwarding to that. Uh, shoot. So, uh, so, Hey, stop all that typing, everybody. I, I hear you listeners from soon as he said potable to podscribe. I know all the listeners that are domain investors literally went over to the keyboard and just started typing away. Um, trying to see if if indeed he owns the matching.com so there you found it he owns the matching.com for podscribe so hey get get readjusted get settled in the seat 
That's all right. Back away from the keyboard. Let's get back into the conversation. So That's now right. with, with Potable, did you own the uh, .com? No. And that no. was, we, we were .co and that was all right. I mean, it, it was okay, but we still, I think, I think it honestly is ideal if you could have the .com as well. I think, you know, maybe not, you can put your site on a different like .ai or something to kind of give off a certain perception. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if you can't get it, having the .com is useful because it's just the most common thing and you're always going to have, it seems like a fraction of people who just are going to assume you're on .com and then go there. So we didn't have the .com, but people would sometimes think we were .com. So, you know, people would misspell potable. They think we were potable.com and it would be sort of, <laughs> so it'd always be like a challenge. It'd be a challenge with that. So we, yeah, we didn't own the .com. So also sort of confusing, but we were the .co which was okay. So, so then let me ask this. So you went with .co for Potable, but then Picasso knows and Podscribe, you went with .ai. Why? So .ai, I, I, I like .ai as the, the kind of the front page for it, just because it seems to sort of signify, you know, there's some, some advanced tech under here. They're using AI on some way or another. You know, it's, it sort of has some, a bit more of a futuristic, you know, it, technologically up to par feeling so i that's sort of why i went with those and yeah i mean for the the dot com it now i'm happy we have it for podscribe just in case people think for whatever reason you know that we are a dot com but it'll just <laughs> redirect that if possible it should i will <laughs> check that but and so you have the matching dot com you're going on, you basically launched the brand on .ai. So in terms of like, even when you raised funds, now were part of those funds used to purchase the, the .com or how did you eventually come about purchasing the .com for Podscribe? Yeah, so that was a recent thing. Um, so I, I had kind of an eye on it, but you know, it was like, it wasn't like for free, <laughs> you know, .coms, it was like a couple grand. And then, you know, we'd started making enough revenue where it was like, uh, it's probably worth it, especially, you know, if we don't have to pay it all up front, we can just sort of do this payment plan. Nice. So I, I kind of at that point, it was sort of a no brainer. But, you know, at first, when we were just sort of tinkering around with different names, I probably wasn't about to, you know, shell out a, a couple grand or even more or whatever for a dot com. I, I, I feel like the dot com, maybe if you have a unique name, it's worth getting right away and, lock, and locking it in but you know i think if you're i mean it depends on your cash but if you're experimenting with you know a name or a, a product and whatnot you might you know want to try something else a little bit to keep the, the cost down and then upgrade to the dot com or, or at least have it when you grow a bit more now in terms of the whole company restructure so you 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 figure some things out you get restructured now at that point, you had been, I guess, a, a platform for suggesting new podcasts based on user preferences. Like, when did you actually make the shift or what, you know, when did the light, when did you have the light bulb moment about, oh, well, actually, we should probably be pod, uh, transcribing podcasts? Yeah, so there wasn't really a light bulb moment. It was sort of a trying a series of different things that didn't work that well. So, we, <laughs> yeah, we were, <laughs> we were an app in the in the app store in the apple app store you could go download it listen to your favorite podcast download them like usual 
And, you know, after trying the whole producer on podcasting and sort of running out of money and having to restructure, we had to, you know, figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do next? So we, we definitely tried a couple different things. So like one thing that we were considering was basically just using our internal transcription engine to license out specifically to podcast hosting companies or other audio producing companies and having them use it. And I think we we actually could get there down the line, but it just wasn't, we were kind of smaller and I don't think know if they wanted to test us. I don't know if we had the relationships right. um, at that point to make, to make that happen. So we tried that with limited success. And then we started experimenting with something else where we were, I don't know if you've um, seen how sort of the latest in attribution tech in, in podcasts, but essentially you can kind of set up this thing called a redirect pixel. So if you know your listeners are listening to this show, they're on their iPhone, they hit play, then a download typically will go to your hosting company. Um, who do you use? Podbean. Podbean. Okay, so it, usually the download would go straight to Podbean. Podbean would serve the audio file to the listener's uh, app on their iPhone. But if you use a redirect pixel, what essentially it is, is when the listener hits download, the request would go to say, our servers, we log the IP address, then we send the request to Podbean to give them the audio file. And Mm -hmm. then what happens is if, you know, in this show, we talk about Squarespace as an ad, if the person who listened to your show on that IP address, if they go to Squarespace's site later, we can link the IP address that downloaded the show to the IP address that goes to their site later. So it, it's a bit, it's kind of a way a workaround where you don't have to use promo codes, but it, it's sort of like this middle in between servers. So we, I'm so sure we experimented with that a little bit. We found it was sort of still in the ad tech space where we were from it. I think the tech was there and there are other companies doing it, but it didn't work so well. So then what we tried next was actually, I thought like, well, you know, we have like a lot of transcriptions, maybe certain groups of people would pay a monthly fee to view them. And I thought, well, you know, there's all these deaf people and like most popular podcasts don't really have transcripts. So maybe they'd be interested in that. So then I'm, you know, we put the top like couple hundred podcast transcripts on our site and I started, you know, kind of trying to reach out to deaf groups and they were sort of interested, but they were, I think there wasn't, there was like a couple issues with that. Like one, deaf people were kind of interested, but they didn't really know which shows they wanted to listen to. And I think the transcripts also are typically, it it depends. We're using a different uh, engine then, but a lot of times they're, it's not a great experience just to read a transcript with like out the audio, just like <laughs> sometimes it, you know, be typos and it'll be sort of hard to follow. So, and I think, you know, that people weren't into podcasting enough to pay like 15, 20 bucks a month to, to access it. So right. scrap that. And then I sort of realized, well, like maybe the approach instead is getting, instead of going to the hosting companies or to the listeners, the, to straight to the, the podcasters going to them to, you know, because they're probably the ones who are most interested in having their show transcribed, you know, for right. SEO to create, to create notes for their show, you know, to, you know, do, do a whole bunch of things with. So they're probably the ones who would be most interested and, you know, we can reach out to them directly 
via email. So I, I kind of figured, you know, let's give this a shot because we also have, you know, there's a bunch of other transcription companies out there, but we're sort of in a unique space where we're sort of the only ones that are focused on pot transcriptions for podcasters. So right. that sort of has allowed us to do some unique things such as automatically detecting when new episodes come out in your RSS feed and transcribing them like immediately. So you never have to manually upload a file. Uh, we, we also will add to, you know, how for some transcription insights, you can add specific words into the vocabulary to kind of like look out for So we'll do that automatically with your show notes in title. So you don't even have to put those in. Our editor will learn from, you know, your, your past edits you know, we can help with like automatic embedding on the site and now we just released the, the all transcript search widget. So basically I kind of realized that, you know, the podcasters, they probably have the most interest in transcribing their show and that we, there's kind of a unique spot here where there are other transcription companies, but we can really just focus on the use case for podcasters specifically and sort of not just transcribing the podcast, but helping to make it as easy as possible to unlock the value of the transcripts for podcasters. I mean, it's spot on. When I think about, because you sent me an email and I have, so what's interesting is I, so I have a bit of background in terms of uh, just transcribing um, and then just knowing, you know, stenographers, uh, support reporters um, in, in terms of what's going on there. So like, for instance, I know that there are, there's a company that I actually consulted with for a while and they would, you know, they basically transcribe like all of congressional meetings for a given state. Um, they would do some special cases in terms of transcribing. And they were trying to turn the corner to get to being able to do stuff for video as well as audio transcription. And, you know, the what's interesting is I've always wanted transcription for uh, Kickstarter Commerce podcast and folks have asked for it, but it has been really, really expensive. And so, you know, you, I, I think at one point it was something uh, I want to say it was either like 60 cents or maybe it, it may have been even a dollar a minute uh, per transcription. So you start looking at my shows, which are longer form shows that sometimes can bounce anywhere from about 55 minutes upwards to, you know, an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, I have to start saying to myself, is it worth $120 to get this thing transcribed? And if I get it transcribed, is it even, you know, what's the quality? What's the level of quality going to be like? And so it's, it's as if through your pivots, you've now landed at the perfect tool because uh, I'm now, well, 43 minutes ago, now I'm paying customer, uh, but having worked it out and seen it at, in, in living color, if, we, if you will, uh, that it works and it works well. And so that being said, like, how did you kind of break the glass of just the assumption that transcription is expensive? Yeah. So, yeah, what you're saying is a problem that I think so that all podcasters have, I think increasingly most podcasters are seeing the benefits of transcriptions. They're like, Oh, you know, it would be kind of nice to have a, the written text of my show. I could search through it, you know, show it to the listeners, make it searchable, whatever. But then they have a choice of, okay, do I pay a human to do it for basically a dollar a minute, you know, 60 bucks per hour trans the quality will probably be, you know, 98 
to 100% pr pretty good. So, you know, it's like the high end here. Everybody obviously wants, you know, really accurate transcripts, but is it worth the money? So then the next choice is just no transcripts, you know, screw it, I'm not going to pay all that money. And then, but really kind of the, the third choice where we fall into more is using AI to get not a perfect transcript, but a 90 to 95% accurate transcript where you can still go in and label speakers, you know, fix the, fix the intro, fix any typos, add links, et cetera, where, you know, it's like the goal is to have a transcript that accomplishes most of your goals. Obviously it'd be nice if it was fully accurate, but what we find is for SEO purposes and for your listeners to search through it and, uh, you know, read people to read it, you know, a 90 to 95% accurate transcript can accomplish the goal there, you know, just about as well as a perfect transcript. And it can be about, you know, a 10th of the cost as well, which is nice. So it's kind of the marketing or kind of the, the battle that we have in like, like kind of talking to a lot of people is like, okay, well, we get, you know, everybody wants perfect transcripts, but like, in truth, do you actually will like a almost fully accurate transcript work just about as well for significantly less time and resources. And from what we've seen, you know, it, it seems like the answer to that is yes. And that's sort of the situation that, or the, you know, the place that we're falling into. So, you know, I, I think it's like, it, it's a choice, but I think there, you know, there's clearly a middle ground between the human transcripts and no transcripts. Um, and that's sort of where, where we sit. Right. And I mean, then not only sit, but you do it very well, very well. And I've, I've had a number of, of tries up the hill and, you know, it's, it's one of those things of one, it's expensive to get Two is it the, the time that it would take, you know, cause sometimes people, they would do a rush charge. Okay. If you want it in 24 hours, you're going to pay something in addition, you know, or it would be like, well, no rush charge. Eh. We'll get it back to you maybe three to seven days. Yeah, see you in a week. And it's like, wait, I, but I really need this. It's like, eh, yeah, well, you need it, but not unless you want to pay this rush charge. And so, you know, you talk about now we're, we're looking almost like $200 for a transcript. And if you're a podcaster and you've not garnered sponsorships or sponsor deals, that can be a hard pill to swallow just in terms of, you know, just trying to make sense to go, man, if I have to do this every episode, like I'm going to run out of money pretty quick at $200 yeah, a pop. Ex exactly. I think for some of the, you know, the top networks out there and the top shows, sure, it, it probably makes sense to have, you know, a human go in and get it perfect. But for probably like 98% of shows, you know, you're not making a ton of money from your show. You know, it's not like the cost to get that extra 10% of accuracy isn't really justified and, and and yeah one other advantage i think that we i forgot to mention with our services that we with our interactive transcript player essentially it links the text to the audio so then you can go in and you know instead of just posting you know copy pasting a long block of text the transcript on your post on your website instead you know you could use our player seo friendly and then click on any word to immediately jump to that word so it's kind of another step up just because like, okay, you're reading the transcript, but then maybe you want to, you know, hear that part exactly. Then you're going to try to scroll through the, you know, the audio bar and try to jump to that spot. It's like not necessary. So 
I think that's a, you know, a help as well for people who are sort of trying to jump around or at least maybe English isn't their best language and they just want to see the words highlighted as they're being spoken in the text. So I, I think that's kind of another thing. And we're actually about to, I think later this month, release another update to the embeddable player that'll actually translate the transcript into other languages um there to that'll be awesome yeah obviously quality is like the biggest concern there that we're kind of testing see how useful this will be but i think it's kind of like another step because say you you start out with a podcast just audio in english but then by transcribing it you open it up to everybody who just maybe isn't it just wants to read something or can't hear so you open up to that audience there but then what about you know everybody who may not speak your native language right so it's kind of all about you know, making your content as accessible to everyone as, as possible. You know, it's like why, you know, it's good to put your stuff on YouTube or like all the players out there. You might as well make it not put any barriers up between your content. So, you know, it's kind of like, that's kind of the way I see it is like with the transcript, you're removing a barrier to your content in a way. So I, th- I think that's sort of how I look at it. And, you know, is it, you don't need to pay a human 60 bucks an hour <laughs> to remove that barrier you can remove almost all that barrier you know get it mostly accurate for significantly cheaper so right now let's talk about the the nuts and bolts of just podscribe the just the service offering itself so you're transcribing a podcast or shows or episodes uh, then what other features, because I mean you, because I think this is, I mean, it's a customizable player. You can have the player or you can have uh, the transcription or you can have both. I mean, kind of walk us through kind of what the, the the breakout is. First off, we're working on making the, the site a little bit more clear, get some you know videos up there and whatnot. But essentially the the gist of the service is you're a podcaster, you publish an episode like usual and then our system will automatically detect the new episode, transcribe it, and then email you back the transcript about typically 10 minutes after you publish it for about an hour long episode. So automatically you boom, you get the transcript. Then once you get the transcript, you can go into our web editor if you want to label speakers, perhaps fix any typos, clean it up as much as you want. You can also add links into the transcript if if you if you want those and then once you're you know happy with the quality there then we send you an embed code that you can get and then you take the embed code and then you just copy paste it onto your website post where you have you know you're putting out for the new episode then boom you just copy paste the embed code in there and then our seo friendly transcript player will appear there on your page so you get the seo boost there plus your listeners can click on any word to play and search through it so that's like the the most common way to use the service. Um, that's probably 80% of the use case. Slightly more advanced use cases would be if for whatever reason you need the transcript before you publish an episode, you could, we have a manual upload feature you could use. So that's one other tweak on the service. We also, let's see, for some of the more tech savvy clients, you can actually automate the embedding of the transcript player on your posts. So you can, it's, it's a bit more complicated, but all you actually need to embed the transcript player on your post is the episode GUID, which is in your RSS feed. So if you have 
you know, a web guy, we have, we've got a number of clients who do it. They set up a template on WordPress. So as soon as they publish the new episode, they don't have to do a thing. It'll automatically pull the episode transcript player in right there. So a bit more yeah. of an advanced use case. And then also because we have your RSS feed, it's a cinch just like that to transcribe your backlog if you, if you want it. Those are a couple other, other items to note about the service. And then the last thing we just released this week, which I was mentioning, is the all episode search widget. So it's another widget, essentially, you can put on your site. Um, this one's an iframe. The other one's not an iframe. But essentially, you, put it, you copy paste the embed code for your show onto your site, and then your listeners can go through and search through all of your past episode transcripts to see where you mentioned any word or phrase. So say if you, you know, you want to search, your listeners wanted to search GoDaddy, then boom, all the clips in your, all of your past episodes where you mentioned GoDaddy would pull up and they could play it. Any of those snippets. That's the service essentially. That's um, basically where we're at. Now you mentioned something that, that I found interesting. So, and, and likely I find myself right. I mean, in the crosshairs of this. So having 70 some odd episodes up to now. So just signed up, like I said, well, roughly about 54 minutes ago, when I think about what needs to happen now. So essentially what you're telling me is, Hey, you can go back and pretty much transcribe every episode up to today or up to the most recent one. But the one thing, while we can technically do that, let's talk about pricing. How does that, you know, how does it actually work out? Because I, I mean, obviously we've said, hey, the experience is way light years ahead of where things were. And pricing wise, how does this play out? Is it less expensive, more expensive? Sometimes what we have, and I'd be happy to extend to any listeners on the show as well but for anyone who signs up for a yearly subscription we're happy to transcribe their entire backlog at least within the past year if they have an insane amount all that entirely free as a sign-on bonus just to get them you know up to speed so that's kind of a motivation for you know a yearly subscription if they don't want a yearly subscription for you know they want to test it out we can do it i believe it does depend a little bit on how many hours you know if they have like six hours of backlog versus like 600, the price is a little different, but it usually is between like two to 350 per hour, um, depending on, you know, the volume, but Wait, yeah, usually $50 or $2 and 50 cents, $2 and 50 cents of, of audio. So yeah, but usually honestly, probably most people who want like their full backlog transcribed, we'll just do it for free as a sign on bonus, um, with a yearly, subscription so happy to you know anyone interested just to you know because if you're tr starting to transcribe your recent episodes you probably also want to get caught up with all of your past episodes so right right you know happy to you know kind of get you onboarded with that man i need to change my subscription from monthly to yearly <laughs> then <laughs> oh yeah well we can we can figure something out after yeah Sure. <laughs> no well that man see that's that is incredible so here it is we've gone from you know something like a dollar a minute to basically what'd you say two two dollars and fifty cents three dollars per hour that is like how how does that happen yeah you just uh computers don't you don't need to pay them as much money to do the work 
Man, that is awesome. We're working on making it cheaper too. Yeah, I think that, you know, as time goes on, the the cost is is going down, accuracy is going up. So, you know, we're looking to continuously improve both of those. Right. And you got a player that you can actually customize and make it look very much like your brand or identical to your brand. Yeah, exactly. So you can, we provide options where you can change the background color, font color um, of the player. And we're adding more customization options as well. So, you know, we wanted to, you know, match your site, not to stick out like a sore thumb out there. Right. Now, let me ask this. So in, in terms of, and I don't know that there's a finite answer, but in terms of SEO, so what do you think the impact is on a site that, on a, on a site that basically has a podcast, no transcript versus a site that has a podcast, has a transcript? Like, is there a night and day difference in terms of ranking or not so much? Or like, how does that necessarily play into whether or not you get ranked or, or, or favorable yeah. rankings versus non-favorable. Yeah. Yeah. I think unfortunately there's not a super simple answer. We're working on a, some studies now with our own, with some other, with some clients and um, to actually try and quantify the results. So I think usually people, I've talked to a bunch of clients and networks who swear by podcast transcripts for their site, for their SEO. And I've talked to other people who say, you know, Transcripts honestly don't do anything. People just randomly parrot the advice that transcripts help SEO. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think <laughs> for the argument, I mean, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle and can really depend on a lot of things. So I think first off, just by putting the text on your page, you are giving Google more opportunities to index your content because you know all of a sudden you're putting out all this content, this text on there that Google can now index. It's like kind of the difference between a blog post with, you know, maybe just a title and a blog post with, you know, a full body of text. So I think first off for specific searches that match well to what is in your transcript, I think it can be effective. However, it does depend, you know, on one, your content and what the search volumes really are for that. So, you know, if you're talking about things that people are really looking for answers for, and all of a sudden you have the transcripts so you have the content on your page that google can match i think that's helpful however i think it, why transcripts a lot of times may not be the most helpful is because in some shows you know the what they talk about is is so random and unfocused and so many different things that google has an issue you know really figuring out what this page is all about mm. so i think if you just throw you know, an insane amount of stuff at the wall, like a four hour transcript. And, you know, it's kind of all about <laughs> all these random things. You know, I, I think Google is a little smarter than thinking, okay, if, you know, because he's a bunch of words doesn't mean he answers what our, our searchers are, are looking for. So what a thing I think that can help is if people are able to use certain parts, of, if people are able to help indicate to Google, perhaps which parts of the transcript are key. And if they're maybe more focused on specific topics. But for instance, say, if you're able to, you know, put maybe headers in the transcript or kind of put them in like an H4 and H5 tag um, and kind of emphasize them, I think you give hints to Google about specifically, you know, which part of the content may be more relevant. So we're actually working on adding that into the player to say, you know, add like maybe a mini subheader to this part of the transcript or, you know, maybe make this 
part more emphasized. So then it gives Google more hints as to saying like, this is like what this page is about. These are like the important things since Google will give more weight to, you know, like the header tags. So I think, I think it's complicated. I don't think if you just throw the transcript out there, you're going to be, you know, the biggest podcast ever the next day. I think overall, I think they're a good, they're a good idea to have just, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I don't think it's like a magic bullet. Um, but I think, you know, they are a good move to have. So, so hopefully we're going to have some good blog posts and studies about, you know, the effectiveness where we actually, you know, show sites like our ranking and what we're indexing for and like the situations where they can be helpful soon. And one tool I recommend anybody use who's kind of interested in actually monitoring this is Google has this search console tool that they actually put out where you can measure, you can see what you're ranking for, see how you're trending over time, measure clicks and everything. So I use that before I I kind of look at it fairly frequently and we're using that to track the effects. So I think it's like, if you're serious about it, you also want to be measuring it carefully, not just anecdotally with, oh, did my listens shoot up this episode? You know, there's like, yeah, I would recommend like using a tool where you're actually tracking like who's coming where for what terms um is as well just so you can have a good idea and it's less kind of like voodoo magic and more uh, <laughs> you know let's well it's data driven like measure this carefully exactly yeah yeah it's data driven yeah. uh and, and that's the thing that you know really really took me by surprise in terms of what you were doing especially once you sent the email because i get emails all the time and i was like yeah okay I'll take a look at this email and let's just see what this tool is about. It's probably as ex- expensive as I'll get out. And then like you sent me an actual transcription and I was blown away. I was like, okay, you got me with one of my most recent shows and the accuracy was there. I mean, it was, there were a few words that were, that were off, but for the most part, I was like, it was there. And then when we were, you know, when we set up the call, got on the call and you kind of walked me through everything. And I was like, sold. Sold, sold, sold. I finally found the solution that I've been looking for. And speaking of solutions, so let's talk about uh, Picasso for a quick minute, because you said that Picasso is actually being combined or being divested into to Podscribe. And so like what types of tools, I guess, are being moved into the Podscribe yeah. Uh, toolbox? Yeah, yeah. So what the... Picasso is all about is business intelligence for primarily actually ad agencies, but also podcasters can use it as well. And what we do is we analyze transcripts of the most popular shows to figure out where brands are spending. So you can go in and see who are all the past sponsors of Joe Rogan. You can see where are all the podcasts that the Cash App has advertised on. You can see what we estimate to be their spend you can say, go into a brand category, like see all CBD advertisers. And you can see, you know, like a list of like the top 30 ones in podcasting. So then if you're, you know, a brand spending or an agency, you can see, okay, where are my competitors spending money now? So, you know, I can sort of figure out my strategy. I can kind of figure out where everyone else is at. So, and then the other thing we do, which is, Actually, totally unique on that side is the top 2,000 or so shows. We actually analyze their listener demographics, so like age, income, gender, Mm -hmm. location. And the way we do that is 
we link their podcast to their social media profile if they have one for the show. So like for Joe Rogan, we'll analyze his uh, Joe Rogan's Twitter and also his um, YouTube to then figure out who are the demographics of his followers there. So it's not an exact science, but we are able to get pretty good insights like, you know, Joe Rogan's show, like 78% male, you know, average income, like, you know, 56K, like location, age. So we, we have that data as well, just so then brands looking to advertise can have a rough idea of what the show looks like and they can sort of pick out which shows they that might fit their criteria. And we also provide listener estimates for shows as well. Not exact, but it's more meant to be like, you know, is this show like, you know, how ballpark, you know, kind of where is this show at in the listener range as well. So yeah, so it's it, it's a variety of business intelligence tools. Mostly, the I mean, the biggest one is tracking where brands spend, and we're it, that still though is centered around podcasts. So we're putting that, or sorry, transcriptions. So we're putting that into the Podscribe site as well. And for podcasters, it's usually more for larger networks, but how they could use it is essentially as a lead generation tool because they could see who are the new advertisers in podcasting essentially so and you're like oh you know audible just came into podcast advertising let's hit them up so you can see that who's advertising on similar shows so they can kind of use it as a tool like that and yeah and actually conversely advertisers can look at shows and see for their sponsor history who's renewed and who hasn't renewed so you can kind of get an idea like oh Audible only advertised for a month on Joe Rogan. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, maybe Joe Rogan wasn't selling Audible that well. So you can kind of vet shows as well. So it's a, we've got a couple agencies as clients. Now we we're looking to focus a lot more on that later this year and, and next year. So we're, you know, excited about that. And we're also looking at opportunities to link the podcasters we have as clients on the pod side to the advertisers. We're trying to figure out like potentially good solutions to link both parties there on either side. So we have some ideas in store for that, but n- nothing out yet though. But I think there could be a lot of interesting things we could do with that. Well, man, like y- you all are covering, I mean, quite a lot. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you set the transcription there as the center of the universe and everything in which you just spoke of, of, you know, being a podcasters, being able to find advertisers and see demographics as well as advertisers being able to, you know, actually find podcasters. Like you've just basically come the center of the universe in terms of the transcription platform of helping folks find one another, helping people find new shows. Like it's so many different angles to this. Yep. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of angles to it. And we're also talking to a number of different players to license our podcast transcription database to actually power their search engine and to display our transcripts in in their players as well. So I think there are a lot of opportunities to use sort of like the transcription base we have to power the the ecosystem in, in a lot of ways. That is awesome. And so now, now you kind of, shoot, you've kind of blown my mind because I was over here, you know, waving a flag for, for transcriptions. And here it is. I can think of many different um, situations to where I'd want to know 
what brands um, are advertising where um, as, as well as, you know, just what are the shows that talk about domain names? I mean, I know them based upon just exposure to our industry, but I know that there are probably one-off shows that happen where people talk about either buying or selling a domain. Yes. Yeah. Anybody can go to our site now and just search through all the transcripts we have. You know, if you search domain, it'll pull up, you know, every show. We have basically every show on Apple and you can search through all like the the, met, the show's metadata um, plus all the transcripts we have just to see what might be out there. So yeah, so that's available just for, you know, any listeners that want to check it out. And any listener can actually go in and read through transcripts if they want. It's totally, totally free. That is awesome. So then wrapping up, I mean, now what would your advice be to someone Obviously, you've had the experience um, as an employee. You, you've gotten to somewhat moonlight your way into a full-time business. You've had success there. You've also had failures. You've had to pivot a couple of times. So based on your experience, uh, and what would your advice be to someone starting their journey in tech or entrepreneurship? Like, where should they begin? Yeah, I think one thing that I that He's I like, probably... don't. <laughs> <laughs> stay away no, i think one thing that would probably help is it's not this isn't anything that unique but i didn't quite know of it it's a lot of the principles in um uh was it the lean startup or this other book called like the right it but basically the idea is that most startups and business ventures don't fail because of poor execution they fail because of the market not wanting what's being created so That's good. it's a yeah so like before when we started potable the first thing we did was oh we gotta let's build let's build let's build this app but that's actually almost the worst path because then you waste you know a year and a half building this thing that in the end nobody really wants so you know the better approach and there's a lot of ways to to do this but you can the better approach is trying to test out what the market wants before you actually build it so, you know, for, for instance, like before I for, say you were trying to build another pod scribe, you know, instead of, you know, going out and building all the tech right away, what you could do instead is actually, you know, reach out to, you know, a couple hundred authors and say, hey, we can, you know, do this for your show, transcribe it and maybe show like a quick like video clip. Would you be willing to, you know, prepay or give us your email for more info or you know, see if you could get them to put some form of skin in the game. Ideally, right. money is the best form of skin in the game to prove out your idea. But there's a lot of ways to test out your idea or venture that don't in, doesn't involve coding um, and building out something. So I think for I think that was that can save people a lot of time if they're able to test out what, if the idea they have is really wanted by anyone because it's like really hard to. And everybody thinks they got the best ideas, but you know it's kind of hard to realize your idea may not be what people want. But it's better to find out sooner than later. That's, that is true. <laughs> that's for sure. And it, I think too is what's also confusing about that is people can accept that, but then they'll still maybe not validate their ideas correctly. Like they'll use <laughs> kind of like focus groups or ask like their friends, like, "Hey, what do you think of this? Do you like it?" And everybody's gonna be like, "Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good idea." But like, it's useless. Instead, you have to ask them like, okay, well, do you want to prepay? 
if you want to, you know, give <laughs> man, me, no, I'm not giving you my like, money for that your mess. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then, then you really find out like, okay, well, it's interesting, but not worth their money. So, right. okay, then <laughs> time to so pivot. I, I think that, <laughs> yeah. So I think you can learn a lot and like cut through ideas and paths a lot quicker if you have more of that approach. Um, yeah, that's an, that's interesting because and as you were speaking, I was sitting there on the parallel and I was like, man, that is very much like domain investing. Like if we're looking in, let's say we're looking at something like geoservice domains. Well, instead of going out and purchasing the top, let's say we looked at the U.S. cities by population um, in descending order. In most cases, most people, the the inexperienced person goes out. They look at this list. Let's say they look at the top, we'll just say 50 cities. And then they combine the 50 cities with something like health.com. So let's say they have Mm. austinhealth.com. Well, they go out. And so I very much, I look at that parallel and I say, well, the the good thing to do would be to try it with one um, and preferably one of the either uh, top city, maybe like a top city from the list, the most top city there in the list, and then the most lowest. So you only really purchase two domains. And then before you go to sell those domains, you actually need, before you actually go to purchase additional domains, you actually need to sell those first two domains to test out the market. Is there a market for this type of domain? Um, and so I think oftentimes domain investors, it's kind of like what you were saying in terms of before you go out and go all in with the tech, it's like, no, let's take a step back. Let's, let's see if people are willing to put money in the game. And there are many domain investors that'll tell us domain investors, oh yeah, that's nice. And then it's kind of like, Hey, would you buy? Oh uh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, okay. Well now you're starting to, to get down to uh, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And so it's the same thing. Can you find customers for these two given domains? If you're able to flip them, okay, well, to, based on how much you're able to flip them, then that kind of leads you down the path of, well, do I go out and buy all 48 or the rest of those that are available? Or do I keep using the same approach, two by two by two by two, until I prove it out to a point that just basically says, like, no, like, you actually need to hit full speed in this direction and start going into, you know, other industries. And so that was just something that came to mind as you begin to speak about uh, where you would start. It's like, I can see that same parallel here in terms of domain investing. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. Yeah, it's starting small and testing, right? As much as much as possible. Like you know, I think some people kind of like me, if you know, they're engineers, they're just like, oh, it's just build, build, build. But I mean, it, it's a good way that you potentially could end up wasting a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the same thing. It's like build, build, or more build. money, more money. Right. And, and domain investors are like, buy, 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 and we're like, well, hold on, like you're going to end up with a portfolio of domains that you haven't sold while you really just experience the, the, the sheer joy and adrenaline rush of uh, participating in auctions and just simply throwing down cash on hand registrations. It's like, well, no, let's stop buy, 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 and let's really focus on sell, sell, sell to really prove the, uh, your concept or your hypothesis, prove it true or false one way or the other. But yeah. Exactly. And I, I think even for like a lot of the products on the, the agency side now that we're, we're building out, we literally try to sell them before you even build them. Oh, totally. Like 
like, a, yeah, I, th- I think, I think that's a better approach because then you just learn a lot more, a lot more quickly what the customer wants and is willing to pay money for them. And then you're just a lot more inclined to be building the right thing, not just what you think is cool or. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you know, this is cool. Yeah. But you have nothing to eat and you kicked out of yeah. your place to stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, man, last but not least, I mean, I guess, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners, you know, how they can get in contact with you or any specials going on? Yeah. Um, so if anybody is interested at all, always happy to give a free sample for their show out. If they check out podscribe.ai, they can find out, you know, where to, the, the creator program is right there. They can click on the link to check out you know, more details. And then if they want, you know, to email me about anything, they can even email me directly for the free sample. It's Pete at podscribe.ai. So you can email me directly. And for any listeners of the show, if they just mention, hey, heard of, uh, heard of you guys on Alvin's show, then happy to transcribe their entire backlog, uh, at least within the past year with any yearly subscription entirely free to get them started. So you know, reach, reach out if you have any questions or, or interested. Um, and on Twitter, we're, we're working on growing our social media profile. Now we've just hired a new guy to get on it. So we're a bit small there. I think we're, we're podscribe AI there, but we're, we're still a, a bit small there, but we'll be, we'll be out there sooner, soon enough <laughs> there. We be strong. We be mighty. We be fierce. Yep. And, uh, had, had a great time on the show. So yeah, a blast. Thank you for having me. Certainly, man. Certainly. Thank you again, Pete, for, you know, sharing your entrepreneurial journey. Ups and downs. <laughs> oh, man. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I, I, I know those ups and downs as well as the listeners know those ups and downs as well in terms of domain investing, uh, domain development and brokering and, and the like. So, well, Pete, thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks, and that's all for now. Thank you.